You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. My name is Austin, and I help minister to the youth and the young adults here at Branches, and it's a joy to be with you. Um, I haven't been here in like 15 months um, because as soon as we started regathering, the youth group were over at the warehouse, which is on the other side of the library in a galaxy far, far away, so it's awesome to see all my friends here at the Senior Center. Many of you I haven't met yet. Nice to meet you. Would love to meet you personally, not just from the stage. But I have the pleasure of bringing us back into our Matthew series. Andrew took us through a spirituality series over some weeks talking about the roles of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. And now today, we're going to be talking all about the ministry of Jesus right after the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to begin by saying that the ministry of Jesus did not leave room for people to be neutral about him. His life was far too radical. Either he is who he says he is, or he's a serious threat to the order of society. With the stories we're going to go over today in Matthew's gospel account, we're going to see Jesus go against the grain of culture, talking with the outcasts who would in turn make him an outcast, talking with the controversial, which would make him seem quite controversial. Investing time in those who might not be worthy of an esteemed rabbi to be with, leading us all to ask the question, what kind of rabbi is he? You see, from Jesus being the son of God, the exact radiance of God and the reflection of God's character, we learn this, that God is in the business of healing, that God is in the business of restoration, and ultimately, God is really about people and making a way for any and every person to know his love and in that experience the fullness of life. Truly, God sees us corporately as a unit, all of humanity, but he loves us all the way down to the individual. In a sense, he's kind of like a gardener as we're all growing up in him. We're all a part of the same garden, in the same soil, but we're individual plants bearing our own fruit, and he tends the garden. Now, I don't know much about gardening, like pretty much nothing. Like my wife entrusted me to water the zucchini seeds, and I did it like one day and then never did it again. And then I found out that she was actually doing it every day, knowing that I wasn't going to do it. But my wife, all about it. She kills it. She got the apron, the gloves, the, uh, the watering can, the little rake thing. I don't know what you need a rake for when the garden's like this big, but she has the lifted garden and it has like strawberries, dill, cilantro, beets, kale, all the things. Like I'll just be like chilling, like drinking my morning coffee, reading a book, and she'll be like, look, here, look how cute. And she hands me this strawberry the size of a dime, and I'm like, yeah, honey. And I'm like, this is great. You're doing good. We might be able to live off of this. delicious nonetheless and it's funny hearing about the drama that happens in her garden not like between her and her plants but within like the worms eating the strawberries plants overtaking one another and here's one that I learned plants stealing sunlight 
from other plants, like plants that like the sunlight, they'll like gravitate to where there's more sun and from that cast shade on other plants. Plants really do be shady sometimes. And then mushrooms randomly popping up, like Kara has a full-on ecosystem going on. But as a gardener, she is caring for the individual plants. Those that look like they're on their last leg, she'll take them out, pot it, and put it in an area that'll get more sun. If the plant's not doing well, she'll put it in another area. You see, she sees the garden as a whole, but cares for each individual plant as it is part of what makes up the garden. And likewise, what we see with the ministry of Jesus is he gives worth to every single person. Jesus gives worth to every single person as he recognizes that everybody together make up the image of God. Genesis 1:27. so God created mankind in his own image. Yes, we individually bear the image of God, but truly we need one another to corporately bear his image. Like a plant is a part of a garden, like the garden consists of many plants. Jesus gives worth to every single person as they are each a part of what makes up humanity. Humanity, that is to bear and reflect the image of God. So today, we are going to see that Jesus' ministry is one of healing. And Jesus, being the incredibly wise teacher he is, truly the wisest person to ever live, he had a lot to say with his healings about how the kingdom of God works. He had a lot to say with his healings about how the kingdom of God works. And we'll see that today in our text in the book of Matthew. It's going to be Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. If you want to flip open your Bibles to that, Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 17. Words will also be on the screen. And this is the word of God. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. Say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast. There's going to be food in heaven, hopefully ramen. At the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Will you pray with me? So Jesus, as we go into your text, as we go into your word, your living word, may our hearts be inclined toward you all the more, recognizing your grace, recognizing your healing presence, and recognizing all that it means for us today and every day forward. Jesus, you are really good, and it's evident through this text. May we know more of your goodness today. In your name, amen. Amen. So the first three individual accounts of healing are of people for different reasons were from a Jewish point of view disadvantaged. The leper was by virtue of his illness an outcast. The centurion and his servant, they were Gentiles, a.k.a. non-Jews, a.k.a. those who were seen as outsiders from the faith. And Peter's mother-in-law was of a social, lower social status in Jewish culture as a woman. But what was radical about Jesus was that he was constantly elevating women in a male-dominated society. Go, Jesus. So Jesus, taking the intentional time to be with and heal these people, it was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking for an esteemed rabbi to do this, as was his whole ministry. He shook things up. We know this. He ended up on the cross for a reason. He shook things up a whole lot. My friend, Josh Harmony, he has this song called Break the Ground that goes, break the ground so my roots can touch the living. And that's truly what Jesus did. He broke every dividing wall, every cultural barrier. It is broken and the door to the Father is open so that the roots can touch the living, so that we may be in relationship with the one true source of life. And this text today, it's directly following the Sermon on the Mount, the most iconic sermon in all of history. Jesus proclaims the changes necessary to institute the kingdom. And then with his miracles today, he authenticates himself as the king of Israel and by deed proclaims that he is able to perform his word, a.k.a. he talked it, now he walks it. And with the teaching and with the miracles, Jesus is demonstrating that the kingdom of God has truly arrived. The kingdom of God is here. And so we see Jesus, he came down the mountain as a teacher. For when a rabbi would speak, they would speak from an elevated spot. And he just brought a good word. He shook things up. And the masses, they rushed to Jesus for clarity, for further comments, for concerns, and then we see this man with leprosy kneels before him, taking the posture of a, of a student. And leprosy is no small matter. It is really, really gnarly. It begins with someone losing the sensation of a body part. The muscles begin to waste away, toes and fingers fall off, hands and feet. It's a progressive death in which someone dies inch by inch. A leper was essentially seen as a person who was dead while alive. And not only that, it was seen as highly contagious at this time. One had to keep six feet of distance or more from a leper, or even as gnarly as it sounds, if a leper was like with like a wind, like standing right here, a person had to be 150 feet away or more. That's crazy. And whenever they would enter a town or be anywhere near another person, they would have to shout, How dehumanizing would that be? Not being able to be anywhere near anyone else. So this crowd, 
is probably repulsed and backs away, looking at Jesus like, are you serious right now? Do you not know what this man is? Does he not know that you just taught us about God? Does he not know that he is not clean? He sure did know. The leper sure did know that he was not clean. He's known it for years. But something about Jesus told him, he can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice, not if you're able, but Lord, if you are willing. Wow. Imagine the boldness of this leper. Maybe the leper had seen the work Christ had done. Maybe his Sermon on the Mount was so captivating that something about Jesus' character seemed like he was in the ministry of healing. Or even, maybe he asked other rabbis and he had been rejected. Biblical commentators will say that rabbis would often boast about how poorly they treated the lepers, going as far as throwing rocks at them. That's awful. So this could have been like a last resort. Maybe I'll try one last time. He is so bold. People are definitely taken aback. They definitely backed away. They're probably offended that Jesus took the time to be with this man. And Jesus, he could have said a word. He could have given him instruction on what to do. It could have been quick, and Jesus could have moved on to other people. He could have avoided making a scene But Jesus is just too much in the habit of meeting people right where they're at. For Jesus takes us just as we are, not as we should be. He approaches the leprous man. I'm sure this leper had an urge to back away out of habit from the approaching Jesus. Like, don't get too close, Jesus. But Jesus reached out and touched the man. Probably the first time this man has been touched since he got leprosy. Leprosy, which lasts from 20 to 30 years. I imagine this man cried at even just the touch from Jesus. How isolated must he have felt all these years? I'm willing. Be clean. And he watched that leprosy leave, never to return again. This is so fascinating. By the touch of Jesus, this leper was healed. This leper that was never touched by anyone else. And the reason being, number one, a person themselves may get leprosy from being near a leper, from touching a leper, from being in close proximity. And number two, even more important, a person would be considered unclean if they touched a leper. So what does Jesus do? Jesus became unclean so that this man may become clean. Jesus bore this man's uncleanness in order that this man may be forever clean. And now that this man was clean, the name leper had left him. The title, the lifestyle, the consequences of being a leper were no longer on his resume. He is a free man. That meaning, he was welcomed back into society. He was no longer, to, no longer to live outside the city walls. He was able to join in on community. And this is what comes with the healing of Christ. One is welcomed into a new family. Community is available. All are welcomed in. The leper experienced it firsthand. I love this section. This is really good stuff. With this first healing, we see the gospel itself. 
that Jesus became unclean so that we may become clean. By faith, we are healed. We are given a new name. We are welcomed into community, and our lives will never be the same. This is some good news, right, church? Jesus says to the leper, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What's going on here? Is this like some sort of humble flex by Jesus? You see, Jesus frequently tells the recipients of his healing not to go and tell everyone what had just happened. Not as a way of reverse psychology, though it may seem like that because literally no one ever listened to him when he said that. But rather, Jesus wanted his ministry to last just a bit longer before he went on his way to Jerusalem, before he was on his way to the cross. And along with that, Jesus didn't want these stories to be told, these stories to circulate just so he can be seen as a wonder worker. Rather, he wanted the kingdom to break into the world as he went. Jesus wanted his ministry to have substance, to have meaning behind the miracles. So these were signs, the miracles were signs that the kingdom of God was amongst them. So go to the priest, Jesus told him, offer your gifts and be a testimony of what happened. And I'm sure the priest who saw the ex-leper was tripping out. There had not been a record of a leper being healed since Miriam and Numbers 12. Do you know how long ago Numbers 12 was at that point? A hot minute. It had been a hot minute since Numbers 12. And you see, going to the priest, it would enable the ex-leper to have official sanction to enter into clean society. To enter into clean society, he'd be completely free. The kingdom of God is here. We next have the centurion come to Jesus for help. A centurion being a Roman official with a hundred guards underneath him. This guy's a big deal. Kind of a head honcho. People are super intimidated by him. And he comes before Jesus, addressing him as Lord. Recognizing who he is. Honoring him for who he is. Banking on him to be consistent with his character. And he comes before Jesus with humility. Not forcefully, as one might expect a Roman to do, but rather, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly, which is pretty crazy for this centurion to go and seek healing for his servant. Because in this culture with the Romans, if they had a servant that was ill or deemed worthless, they could just kill them. So this guy seeking healing for his servant, that was a big deal. Jesus responds, shall I come and heal him? Jesus is essentially asking, do you want me to come under your roof and heal him? And Jesus coming under the centurion's roof, coming under this Gentile's roof, would have the same effect as Jesus touching a leper. He would become ceremonially unclean. Do you think that would stop Jesus? He just touched a leper, so. However, we see the centurion, a man of great authority, walk in humility, laying down authority for the sake of humility. He could have attempted to force Jesus' hand, but rather recognized the authority of Christ, describing how his side of authority correlates with the authority of Jesus. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to the servant, do this, and he does it. 
And Jesus' reaction, he was amazed. Doesn't happen super often. Imagine going down in history as the person who amazed Jesus Christ. That's kind of sick. Go off, centurion. Now, Jesus said, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wait, what, Jesus? Where was the shift? What is going on? You see, Jesus, he is shifting the paradigm. Subjects of the kingdom was a Semitic term for the nation of Israel. Jesus was saying that unless the Israelites fall, the centurions lead, this outsiders lead, this Gentiles lead, they are not going to be ending up at the table like they think they are. It's assumed that they would get in just because of ancestry, but it's genuine faith that will get them there. Jesus declared, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus is looking at this outsider of the people of Israel, of the followers of Yahweh, and he's like, he gets it. He gets it. He's in. You see, receiving the grace of Jesus, it's not from a title. It's not from a geographical location, not from a political preference, not from ethnicity, nor from social status. It's from having faith. Faith that God is able. Faith that God is good. Faith that God is for us. It's having faith in the one true God in Yahweh. And this centurion, by his faith, is welcomed in. The living room of the kingdom of God, it's open to him. There's a seat before the Father because of his faith. It's no servant's quarters. It's a forever home for a son, for a child. And it's extended on account of his faith. Jesus says to the centurion, go, let it be done as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that hour. The servant was healed at that hour. You see, Christ, he welcomes in the outsider. This Roman centurion is deemed full of faith, faith far greater than any faith Jesus had seen in all of Israel. An outsider welcomed in. You see, this is the ministry of Jesus making sure all people have a way to get to God. And truly, the healing of the servant was just a rad byproduct. For this man was counted faithful by God in the flesh. And on account of his faith and the goodness of the Lord, the servant was healed the hour that Jesus had spoke. Praise God. You see, no one is outside of the realm of receiving God's love. And this was the beginning of the Messianic community no longer being determined by ancestry. God was no longer just for the Jewish nation. Jesus opened the front door to all people. Come on in. The kingdom of God is here. The next scene, Jesus goes to Peter's home. And Peter is ministering to his mother-in-law. And maybe Peter's mother-in-law wasn't too fond of Peter marrying her daughter as a fisherman. So Peter's trying to get some brownie points. I know a guy that might be able to help you with your fever. And I mean, if my in-laws weren't already so awesome to me, and if I was friends with Jesus at the time, I'd probably try to pull that card as well. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but... 
Peter knows that Jesus can do something about this illness. So characteristic to Jesus, he heals Peter's mother-in-law in a unique, never repeated way. He touched her hand. And why did he heal that way? Because that's how he decided to heal the mother-in-law. And then we see the fever leave the mother-in-law, and she got up, and she began to serve Jesus. Her immediate response to the grace she was shown was serving Jesus, and this is the order of operations for us as well. It's not we work toward earning the grace of Christ. I repeat, we do not work toward earning the grace of Christ. Rather, we receive it freely, and we respond with serving Jesus. Truly, all that we do for Jesus is a response to what Jesus has done for us. This woman responds to Jesus. She waits on him. And there was no form of bribery, like, Jesus, if you heal me of this fever, do not just wait until you get my famous Mediterranean pita wrap. No, Jesus healed her, and then she responds with serving him. And this is the last message we see in the series of healings, that we are saved by the grace of Christ, and our lives are to be a response to that saving grace. We are to respond with serving and honoring the Lord. And then the text today finishes with an evening of healing that gives clarity and wraps up all that we've talked about. The close of the day, a couple more healings. Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and with a word he cast them out. With a word. Jesus had authority with his words, just as God, who spoke in the universe, became. The deity of Christ is ultimately displayed here, that he is the ultimate spiritual being as he is a part of the Trinitarian Godhead, as he overthrows the strongholds of Satan. He proves that he is the ultimate spiritual being. He is God himself. He also displays that he is the word of God, bringing forth power from his own spoken word. Recall John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. It's happening. He's doing it. Matthew records here that Jesus healed all the sick. And I can't imagine it was just a few people that went to see Jesus. I'm sure it was an insane amount of people, kind of like a music festival. I don't know if you guys have heard of those or remember those. They were a thing where bands would play music and people would go to see them. It was awesome. Trust me. But the crowds of people, they came to Jesus and they left healed and having been met by love himself. The kingdom of God is here. And then Matthew closes the text with the hyperlink to the Old Testament, a section from Isaiah 53. When the prophet Isaiah spoke of the coming king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. He sure did. Jesus came and he healed the masses, fulfilling the prophecy of the coming Messiah, And Jesus, he literally took up our spiritual infirmities and he nailed them to that cross. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And now we are forever free, all on account of Christ. I'm gonna welcome the band back up. Just like the leper, Jesus took on our sickness. By him, we become clean. By him, we are given a new name and by him, we are welcomed into community. And just like the centurion, 
We are welcomed in by our faith in Christ, not by title, not by any societal standard, by faith and faith alone. Like Peter's mother-in-law, we are saved by the grace of Christ alone. No action beforehand on our part is needed. Rather, we are saved by grace alone. And having received that grace, we are to live our lives as a response. We are to live grace-filled as we have been filled with God's grace. God's love is the booming sound. Our lives are to be his echo. Grace received, grace given. And all this is true because Jesus came as God in the flesh. Jesus came as the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. It was all pointing toward this coming king, toward Jesus. He who would take up our infirmities and bear our diseases. He who would cast out demons and heal the sick with a word. All this was possible because Jesus is the son of God. He came that the kingdom may break into the world, that waves would be made for his kingdom and all of his kids would be welcomed into the family room of God. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. Truly, the whole biblical narrative points toward Jesus, not just Isaiah 53, but the whole lot of it, that this world was and is broken. We are so in need of a savior and no one is able to step up to the plate and fulfill that title, so God himself does. And his name is Jesus. And what did Jesus come to do? His ministry was of healing. His ministry was of inclusion. His ministry was of love. God wants all of his kids home in time for dinner, and he is welcoming every person in through the grace of Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. Will you stand with me as we pray and go into this time of response? So Lord, we respond to you, pouring out our praise, pouring out our adoration, pouring out our love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your healing presence in our lives. And we thank you that in you, we can never be the same. Lord, may we use this time of worship as a response to the immense grace that has been shown. May we lay down all expectations, all preferences, all desires, and receive you, Lord Jesus, and your lordship over our life. May we have that humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.